two, one, go. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded this week at various locations around New York, New York City on Skype. Um, uh, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can check us out on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. All right, this week on More to Come, turmoil at Marvel, turmoil at DC, and <laughs> frankly, turmoil around the world. Um, uh, we're also going to talk about uh, anime NYC 2017 and Comics Art Brooklyn 2017. So, but for now, back to turmoil. Uh, let's turmoil. Start with, let's start turmoil. With we uh, are, well, we are doumed to live in tumultuous times. And yes. I have thought it's the new 10 days that changed the world. Maybe it's 12 days that changed the world, you know. So, you know, this all started innocently enough two weeks ago when uh, it was announced that Axel Alonso was departing marvel yes. as editor-in-chief and cb sabolsky was replacing him as editor-in-chief and you know i think we've talked several times on this podcast about the rumors that axel was on his way out mm. so this came as zero surprise i think the name of cb sabolsky was a little bit of a surprise yeah it was a surprise and at the time it was a welcome surprise yes at, at the, the time. time yes <laughs> yes but the, yeah the, the earth has moved again since that time well it's interesting i, I mean i don't know uh, uh cb personally do i have met him i think very briefly um, uh, my understanding is people seem to have a lot of respect for him. Um, but boy, do. Things, he's a beloved figure. Yeah. Um, but things, uh, seems to have changed, but, but I think I, I, and right after I heard that he, he was named, um, editor in chief at Marvel, I think I texted, uh, Heidi and I'm, this isn't the trochet, but I, but I was wondering, I mean, is this, um, the consequences of, you know, secret empires and, um, you know, a, a, a tumultuous year of uh, trying to keep social justice warriors away from, uh, you know, uh, a subset of Marvel fans. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <But> okay. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I don't see any other way to see it. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that, to yeah. be honest. I do think um, one thing to remember is that traditionally when Marvel – doesn't do well in a quarter and it does seem like their sales have been flagging mm-hmm. a bit that they lay off a high price VP and that would apply to Axel. You know, now CB was working for Marvel, albeit in the Shanghai office. So I'm mm-hmm. not sure he came out of Marvel's budget, but you know, okay. they kind of did get, I mean, I'm sure he also got a lot of money to come back to the U S so just to recap, I do think, you know, probably budget cuts might have had something to do with it. But, you know, there, you're right, Calvin. There had to be a fall guy for the bad sales this year. And, uh, and the you know, incredible I'd heard bad a, publicity. I mean, this right. Is... Well, that was David Gabriel. But, you know, he, yes. he was I heard this came down to a battle between David Gabriel and Axel Alonso. And in the in the infamous ICV two piece, you know, Axel said something pretty dumb, too. But David's mm-hmm. the one who said the dumbest thing of all. But, yes. You know, mm-hmm. Axel is gone. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, as, as, as the, the guy in charge of editorial, I mean, really, I mean, this, the Secret Empire thing just would not die. Um, right. Um, at, at some points, that's got to be laid at his his you know 
Okay. Well, listen, you know, I worked with Axel yeah. for a couple of years, and I'll tell you this. The guy is not a superhero guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Ironic there. Yeah. You know, that was never his number one love was all a superhero. Um, Interesting. Um, continuity and all that sort of stuff. So, you know what? In that way, he wasn't well suited to it. I'll, t- I'll say that. Um, I think he brought in some great people. I mean, I think, you know, as uh, people were quick to jump on Axel's grave or the grave of his editor-in-chief chair, but, you know, other people pointed out that Marvel reached its highest sales of mm-hmm. the modern era under Axel also, mm. you know? So, I mean, it, it's, it's one thing was good, one thing was bad, uh, you know? I mean, he is a very... A lot of people well, people criticize Axel. Maybe he doesn't have the best cuddly manner. He's not a cuddly, cuddly <laughs> guy. But you know, I, I I do respect him a lot as an yeah. editor. Is what I'm trying to get to. And you yeah. know, people on Twitter, comics activists, are going on and on about you know how Axel hated diversity or this sort of thing. I, I, I my knowledge of the man personally, yeah. he was very, very concerned with diversity and. Um, I I don't see that re- actually as I'm not saying it was always the best executed, but I mean he certainly was very aware of this, and I I don't you know I I I think that's a little of a bum rap, yeah. but I don't think he hated diversity, but I have to say I was a little happy to see him go just because of as you said the execution, yes, and yeah. uh, you know just a lot of dumb things over the last year or so. Yeah. And um I I yeah, I don't think anybody doesn't think it's wasn't time for change. And you know, Axel, I ho- I wish him the best. I think that he'll go off and get a really good job somewhere and mm. you know, who wouldn't want to hire an ex Marvel editor in chief at sure. this point? As um, a story or something. But so then so when C B was announced, <laughs> everyone was thought this is kinda cool. Yeah. Now for the last few years, C B or a, a long time C B was the ta- number one talent scout for Marvel. And he was known for flying to Singapore and China and Japan. Well, you know, he's uh, I, Calvin when you say you didn't know him, I'm surprised. What was the, 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 the manga company where he got his start? CPM? Oh, did he really actually I forgot that. He, he oh got my God. I really didn't realize that. He got his start at CPM, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because we wrote quite a bit about CPM back in the day. Um, I wrote about CPM quite a bit. Central Park Media. Uh, they were a pioneering firm in anime and in later um, in later manga. Uh, so I actually didn't realize that. Yeah, but you know, I, I uh, like I said, I, I think I had met him very briefly once. But I mean, everything I had, uh, uh, everything I encountered about him uh, from other people who knew him better than I did, and from what I could see online. Uh, was a dish was a lot of respect, very creative. Obviously, I think it's always interesting when American superhero or, or people who are associated with superhero comics have a global uh, have global experience and global perspective. And certainly, from my perspective, anyone with a, a sense of manga and what that brings to the table of American comics is someone that we need to be paying attention to. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, CB was a translator for quite a few manga. Um, during this period. And uh, however, one thing that was brought up when people were noting his resume was that he didn't have a lot of comics writing experience. And, and, and to be fair, as an editor, he only had a few things to his credit, um, like Runaways was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say as a talent scout, he brought in people like Sana Takeda and mm-hmm. Sarah Pacelli. And um, I mean, that's just the yeah. two that spring to mind. But I mean, he brought in a ton of people. He sure. went to Europe. And I mean, he really did... Uh, and also, CB is definitely 
the now this is what everyone would have said bear in mind again last week had we recorded this podcast last week this is what everyone said tb was well known as a guy who was friendly with the the friendly at barcon you know and he was really a legend and just in terms of being very open and you know buying people a drink when yeah. they, they needed one and, Actually and seeming sort of unmarvel like in some yes. ways in that he regard. was the ambassador of marvel to mm-hmm. the world and last week almost all of the um re- reaction to it was very positive yes. yeah i didn't see a crossword a week ago yes, yes. so uh, but then it turned out that he literally wasn't the man we thought he was Boy, that's for sure. Was David Brothers the first person to, to bring this up? In uh, I mean, well, just in terms in the in the modern era, it's well, been brought well, up again in the past. Well, you know, Bleeding Cool has had brought it up a couple yeah. times. So, yeah. well, yes. well, actually, Bleeding Cool well, brought it up. Well, before we get into where who did it, what? Let's talk about what it was. Yes, yes, yes. yes. You know, he had presented himself in a way that was more than just a pseudonym. Uh, you know, yeah. as this persona, uh, Akira Yoshida. Yeah, um, and to give you a little background here. Uh, Marvel had come up with a rule that editors were not allowed to get paid to write for Marvel at that time because they wanted to stop always hiring themselves and encourage people to hire new people. Good plan. But he decided he wanted to write comics and uh, he did it under a pseudonym so that he could bypass this rule. But he didn't just come up with a pseudonym. Well, you know, basically... (laughs) Yeah, he created the pseudonym Akira Yoshida, um, which um, a mysterious fellow who had appeared at Dark Horse first and then wrote quite a few, not quite a few, over, he was active for a period of about two years. He wrote mm-hmm. some books at at Marvel. And at the time, there was a lot of question about whether it was yeah. a pseudonym and whether he actually existed. Because his background was that he was Japanese, he was from Japan, but he spoke English well enough to write in English. And there were even some Marvel comments that were like, oh, you know, it's so rare to find someone from Japan who is able to write in American comic sensibilities. Um, so over the years, there was always a little question mark. And then yes. to, to circle back, it was David Brothers who said, you know, com- on Twitter, comics journals, you need to dig into this. Now, now, Rich Johnston over at Bleeding Cool, um, another controversial figure, uh, I would actually say he enjoys a very close relationship with C.B. Sabolsky. And I'll tell you mm-hmm. uh, that when the news of the change was announced, it was on the New York Times. However, <laughs> Rich had a story at 9 o'clock and 1 second where he actually e- he says, oh, I've learned that C.B. will be the editor. And I emailed him, and this is what C.B. said. So C.B. gave his you know, first, one of his first and only interviews to rich johnson mm-hmm. so they obviously enjoyed a pretty close relationship but you know i could speculate about this a little bit more but even for the podcast i'm not going to do that but. well well, well this is speculation um the thing that really set rich johnson off on the case was that a uh, another comics creator dash former editor um who had a podcast called right. stuff said uh, basically told this whole story, actually with some fairly uh, telling personal details, with all the names changed to West Wing characters. Right. Um, <laughs> I miss this. But otherwise, <laughs> the entire story in amazing detail. That's Greg, uh, is... Greg uh, Shagel. Well, he's actually, I've been a guest on his 
uh, on his podcast, and he's a really cool guy. And uh, the podcast is really excellent. Yeah. And uh, you know, he was at Marvel. He actually has the books coming out from Image. So I haven't had a chance to listen to this episode of Stuff Said. I so. I have uh, okay. start seven minutes in, listeners, okay. um, because the rest is just sort of intro, which you don't right. need at this point. And um, it was it was very telling. I mean, it was it was just an amazing. And kind of almost betrayally story, and uh, I can see where if you were a comics comics journalist who loves to dig for dirt like Rich, you would hear that and you'd be like, "That's gold." Well, I need to I, find but, the receipts. Well, this right. is the thing about it. What are we to make of this? I mean, if the guy had just come up with a pseudonym because uh, he wanted to write a little bit, I mean, this is ignoring the fact that he's circumventing the rule, you know. Well, uh, well, let me me back up one second, okay? Okay, Because obviously when this story first was circulating, the number one uh, um, accusation about Cebulski was that this was cultural appropriation, pretending to be a Japanese man. Now, so Rich wrote a follow-up story on Monday because there was all these rumors circulating over the weekend. You know, is he a Kiryashita? Is he not? And then Rich wrote a story on Monday that confirmed, where CB confirmed that he was. And and a lot of details were were given, or like because one of the most confusing parts of the story. I mean, I. Th- before I get into this, I think one of the reasons why this story has just captured everyone's imagination is because it's this weird yeah. AF man. I mean, yeah, that's my point. Really, is it, what story, are we to make of this? Be, yeah. Yes, because here's here's some of the details that really have gotten more and more bizarre. Okay, so because rumors of this had circulated for a long time, uh, the Brian Cronin, who does the Is It True or Not uh, column, you know, Urban Legends, Comics Urban Legends column for CBR, was asked, Is he curious? She asked him, and he said, You know, I thought this might be, but I asked Mike Martz who's an editor at Marvel, if it's he's a pseudonym. And Mike Martz said, oh, no, I've even met him. And See? I love his Godzilla collection. Okay. Now, Mike Martz, now the editor-in-chief of Aftershock. So we have a pretty high-level comics person. Right. Mike Martz has been Marvel DC and back again. Okay. Uh, so that's odd. Okay. So when Rich was writing this story, uh, this follow-up story, like, what about these people who said they met him? And they said, oh, well, that was a translator who came in the office one day, and I thought he was the, that. And this is, doesn't even this doesn't of, even. <laughs> why did they create them. this? It, it, they, it went from pseudonym to really outright deception. Uh, well, it went to a, a, a second persona. And. Uh, and so then, after people really get on this, they find this interview from CBR and Newsarama with Akira Yoshida, where he's talking about, like, oh, yeah, I grew up in Japan, my father's a businessman, and I used to work for this publisher. So, you know, he created a whole backstory. Exactly. Okay, so now, um, like, I, I, before we really dig into this, it's just so weird. I do want to point out one thing. You know, because this is one thing that, you know, people's like, oh, this happened you know, so recently. But, I, you know, I do think the manga world was a little bit different 2004, 2006 when this actually took place. You know, you might remember that Kurt Hassler also had a Japanese. <laughs> sure. And so did um, and so did uh, Stu, Stu Levy. Um, yes. But, and it was quite common among manga fans to create like sure. a Japanese screen. Yeah, but, but I don't but recall that they on, created okay. this Far, sort of fake yeah, yeah. background. Yeah, it's right. one thing to have a Japanese pseudonym and be like, I'm not actually Japanese. That's just like that's that's yeah. I mean, one Stu thing. called himself this uh, is different. DJ Milky. 
Right. And, exactly. and still does because he's still writing. But you know, yeah, as soon is... as you, as soon as someone pierced it and asked him about it, he would say, "Yeah, it's me." Yeah. So what do you think of it? I don't. That's what I'm saying. This is so bizarre. I've never heard of. Well, look, we're, we 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 exist in the world of publishing. Pseudonyms are not an unusual thing for for. They're totally normal and okay. People have them all the time. What you don't encounter is people creating these elaborate, uh, uh, deceptive backgrounds, uh, flat out sort of lying when you when they get direct responses. Very often, even the authors themselves, when confronted, will just say, "Yes, it's a pseudonym. I, you know, I just I just want to keep some of the attention off of me." But yes, it, we don't often have certainly not high level uh, exec uh, editors. Well, he okay. So I'm I'm approaching this like like first off, let me just get this out of the way. I think it's very offensive what happened. You know, yes. it's definitely <laughs> yes. very offensive. So I'm not in any way trying to trying to defend it okay but i'm also trying what i what gets me is that like i said last week we all thought cb sabalski was awesome now this week he's not awesome so you know what happened what well, happened once again i don't necessarily he's think he's awesome? not awesome or is think... this a night he, he blamed his apology i will say also his apology on bleeding cool was lame yes lame yeah. what do you call it, it old was... news Yes, it was old news. This is what he wrote. He said, yeah. stopped writing under the pseudonym of Shakira Yoshida after about a year. It wasn't transparent, but it taught me a lot about writing, communication, and pressure. I was young and naive and had a lot to learn back then. But this is all old news that has been dealt with. And now, as Marvel's new editor-in-chief, I'm turning a new page. And I'm excited to start sharing all my Marvel experiences with up-and-coming talent around the globe. Not, Not an apology. Again, my original uh, question stands. I'm not saying... C.B. Sobolski is a bad guy. I'm saying, what am I to make of this? I'm saying that you have just been named Editor-in-Chief of Marvel, and all of a sudden, I really don't know what to think of you anymore. I'm just like, what What does this, you know, I'm sure we can move on from this, maybe, I guess. Um, he, he really wants us to, and I, I assume we will, but it's just as, I, he can't, at this point, you, you have to at least be agog for a couple of seconds. This yeah. seems odd in, in yeah, the street. Well- and it's not just odd. Like, you look at that and you say, okay, clearly this is somebody whose judgment is not always the best and who doesn't always have the best business ethics. Like, I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't be editor or that he shouldn't have a career, but I think people are going to look askance at him from now on. And I think uh, this may be a laughing stock for the rest of his life, as well it should be. Because what the hell, man? <laughs> Yeah, I, I yes, I in where I started. What are we to make of this? Uh, I guess we'll find out. Uh, well, over yeah, time. I'm going to throw in a couple other observations here. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just because I think um, we don't know all the facts. Of course. Okay. Yeah. And I will say, like, this has just ignited a firestorm. And you know, there's a lot of Asian creators who are very, very, very upset about this. Okay? Yeah. I'll bet. Yes, uh, I've read them too. Okay? Yes, there's quite a few. So it's, but it's very much by age. People who are older don't care. People yeah. who are younger, it's the, it's you know a crime. You know, I'm, I would say this was a very strange time at Marvel, mm. and I would say you know like the next story we're going to talk about is about a very strange time at DC. Mm. Um, so this was a very strange time at Marvel. We're coming out of the Gemis years, which were very strange. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure where this rule came from, but my guess 
is and and you know I, I use primary evidence is that Mike Martz quote okay mm-hmm. and David Brothers the reason why he was bringing it up because he said he knew about this a decade ago so this yeah. was not a you know people knew yeah. people knew all along and it was buried you know ten years ago twelve years ago this was not a capital crime okay. Yeah. It would not have been considered. It might have been considered a little bit weird, but then it would have been laughed off. You know, and and so I think it does show bad judgment. But I think also at the time it's like, oh, this person wants to write and they can't because they are, uh, you know, working at Marvel and it's uh, not a good look. And um, I think if you proceed from the idea that a couple of people at Marvel might have been trying to help out a pal and -hmm. didn't think anything of it and then acted accordingly. I think that begins to make all of this make a well, lot I, sense. I think that's but, a perfectly reasonable, uh, you know, response to all this. Um, and but, you know, we'll uh, we'll see how reasonable the comics yeah, community. Yeah, can but be. can I? Can I? I don't. I think we haven't dig, dug down quite enough. You know, I, I mean, I think, I think this would be less scandalous. If he had just had the pseudonym and not tried to craft this whole yes. persona. Yes, But absolutely. part of how he marketed himself was, and how people talked about him, was like, oh, it's so great to like have someone who's a real, like, actual Japanese person who's really expert on, like, Japanese stuff. And he wrote a lot of comics, like, partially set in Japan that... You know, when you see panels from them or when you see reviews by people who read them at the time, like not even now after we know, but at the time, they're like, what is this? This uh-huh. reads like, like, not like Japan. Like, what is this? Right, right, right. Um, and but he was marketing himself as this person with this experience that he didn't have. So it wasn't just I want a pseudonym. It's like. Who would be the person that would sell the most, and how can I pretend to be that person? Well, I, I I'm not sure that every Marvel fan was crying out for uh, someone from Japan to, you know, I mean, I'm no, not sure. but I, I meant I meant to the editors. Like there was definitely he was yeah, but, selling but Kate, that experience. Kate, you see what I'm saying? I doubt very much. I don't know. I don't know. Well, see, like, that, maybe I mean, his I mean, editors what, didn't know. That's why yeah. I'm agree. Yeah. I, well, are you saying the editors didn't know, Heidi? I, I, I missed your last. Um. Well, I. You know, I'm investigating this a little bit okay. myself. Okay. And, that's. And I'm I mean, I mean, my presumption is that they they all that they, they did know. They didn't care. They didn't think it was a big deal. Right. Uh. I. You know. I. I'm. For me, because I think you, 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 how you characterize it is perfectly reasonable. Even if you know, ten years later, it looks like inflammatory. It, and stupid, were, uh, if not like completely racist, um, I, I don't think it was seen that way at the time. I think that it seems like, hey, who cares? Uh, it'll get him some writing experience. He's a nice guy. Well, Nobody I'm sure that's how they saw it. That's all I'm saying. It, yeah. but that doesn't know, make it a to today, good idea. No, Nobody right, is going right. to take Kate, it at right. face value. So that's kind of what they're left with, and what he's left with, um, despite. Having probably utterly uh, benign intentions at the beginning. Well, I mean, right. I'm sure, I'm sure the intentions were, to his own point of view, benign. Yes, I'm to, sure he thought it was perfectly fine. View, yes, you're but, absolutely right. But I mean, even if you take out the massive cultural, oh my god. Um, and by the way, I'm someone who almost never goes for the term cultural appropriation. Like 99% of the time, I'm like it's tacky, but I don't think that's the right label. In this case. When you're like, I am totally a Japanese guy. I'm going to write about Japanese stuff. At that point, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> but 
even if you leave that aside, like he was actively defrauding Marvel. Um, and from the version that's in the podcast that we discussed at the beginning, um, it sounds like some people at Marvel knew and some people at Marvel actively didn't hire up in the hierarchy. So it wasn't like right. all of Marvel knew. Right, it was right, like right. he yeah. was actively defrauding the company. Well, see, I was yeah. trying to – that's what I can't – was he defrauding Marvel? Because I'm a little dubious of that. I just think that more people knew than didn't know. Or was he defra- defrauding the fans? I think he was defrauding both. But, I mean, some people at Marvel definitely knew, and those people. I mean, at what point? Like, when you know your friend's doing this, who doesn't say to them, like, do you think maybe that's a bad idea? Well, maybe like, someone did when he finally stopped doing it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It yeah. took him a year. But, I, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I yeah. mean, I'm pretty sure after some CB, you know, CBR interviews and everything, I'm sure this fraud became harder and harder. And people said, you know, to, I think we're getting to, in deep and, water here. Yeah. 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 So, so, anyway. So, but, we'll see what happens. But, yeah. Yeah, so we will. More, there's more to come on that. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing, you know, as of last week, everybody loved the guy. So, maybe he hasn't made any mistakes since this really dumb thing he did. So, I don't know. No, he's not going to do it again. I guarantee I guarantee. That. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen again uh, for anybody no. at Marvel. <laughs> um, I'm, nor am I saying he should necessarily get fired for it. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it's legitimate for, you know, people to now take a closer look at his business ethics and future. Because if your go-to response to being told, hey, don't do that. We want more room for more talent. And you're like, it's me. It's not me at all. It's this other guy from Japan. Like, that does say something about your professional but, ethics. But I want to point out that at this time, he was an editor, not a talent scout. A lot of people are saying he was doing this while he was a talent scout. As, as far as I understand the timeline, that is not correct. I, in fact, he left He gave left editorial to become the talent scout position. Yeah. So, you know, well, I mean, a fine difference, but... I, yeah, I, I think it's... Yeah, I think it's a... Very fine distinct. But that, look, that, look. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. you know what? Let's I'm, I'm move done. on. Yeah, I'm done. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because, because now we have a really awful thing. Yeah. Well, well yeah, what I'm we about to say was, I do think Kate is right that, you know, tongues will wag and, you know. Yes. And yes, that's, I, just, absolutely. that's just, that's the consequence. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Just like, yes. So, so, shall we? You know, yeah. pass our gaze on to DC now, um, yeah. and yeah. you know uh, the 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 drama uh, and the the culmination of a long time uh, drama. We've covered around, it before around uh, Eddie Braganza and and yeah. the piece in BuzzFeed, which seemed to really maybe basically bring that uh, sordid affair to an end. Yes. When shall we three meet again? Um, you know, <laughs> We've been away uh, for a while. <laughs> we have been away. So, so much has happened, you guys. BuzzFeed had an article because we talked about all these allegations. And, yes. you know, some of them I was peripherally involved with and in that I was there. Uh, but I didn't see it happen. But, um, you know, so BuzzFeed wrote this article that really finally laid out what Eddie did and when did he do it. And mm-hmm. the things that were done internally in terms of... Uh, you know, I think uh, basically two co-workers or, you know, one was a co-worker who he uh, 
you know, forcibly kissed. Another was mm-hmm. the wife or wife, the girlfriend of a freelancer that he forcibly kissed in a convention bar in front of everyone. Everyone saw it happen. Um, and the other was just an ongoing weirdness and creepiness that a bunch of women uh, uh, went to HR and reported it and said, do not promote this man. Um, and also Joan Hilty. She went on the record. Oh, yes. All right. I forgot how, about Joan. Uh, yeah. How he had touched her. And she said, if you don't move your arm, I'm going to break it, which made her my hero for all yeah. times. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the ongoing allegations that after this happened, after this HR thing, that women weren't allowed to work with Eddie which is kind of a crazy solution to things. and Yeah, and he was still in charge of Superman. So that meant basically no women could work anywhere near this is, Superman. This is the Mike Pence solution. Yeah, you know. exactly. So, yeah, well, well, it's even worse than the Mike no Pence women, solution. You, you, know, because you, you eliminate all women from the workplace. There. <clears throat> yeah. No more yeah, sexual harassment. Yeah, it's worse harassment. than the Mike Pence sol- solution because the Mike Pence solution is just you can't go out to dinner with them yeah, you without can't be someone involved, else yeah, there. You can't be around a Whereas this yeah. is like you can't even be in the same office because he can't I mean, be trusted it's, it's, it's to behave himself. It's now, you know, it, Amy Chu. So anyway, so I, I so this broke on a Friday afternoon, and uh, the next day there was a the New York Daily News, the early edition, not the later edition, because as we know, so many people are are being accused that all the, the stories of sexual harassment are coming out now. So, the, you know, the Daily News, I actually have a copy of it. It just says Perv Nation, you know, Louis C.K., um, Jeremy yeah. Kevin, Kevin Spacey, all the people who are and, – and Eddie's face was among them. Yeah. Now, he was replaced in the late edition by George Takai. So, you know, a little bigger name in the world at large. But, um, mm. yeah, and I, and I think – that was maybe the last straw, and on Monday it was announced that Eddie was stepping down from yeah. DC. Now, DC has kept, uh, you know, under wraps completely. They have released no statements except they take this seriously. Um, yeah, I but heard, I have heard that there is turmoil behind the scenes because he was the editing the Superman group, and also they're missing a Batman editor. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, jobs to fill at DC Comics. Right? Yeah, and the thing is, this is really a case where we're taking it seriously doesn't yeah. wash because it was in the comics press we all knew about it in 2012 yeah like like there's this is not new no. um they well, did something but well we we obviously we as we mentioned earlier we talked about this at the time uh yeah and were, uh, about how terrible this was how it, it didn't make sense that this guy was promoted um that these are ongoing um um uh, abuses by him and and he was promoted i mean yeah, yeah no i want to say like these stories were pretty well known to me but then buzzfeed god bless them yeah. went and did a follow-up and they came up with all new people yeah that yeah. were not at least were not common knowledge in my circles of eddie of um you know eddie criticizing criticism and eddie gossip um and uh, one of them was back ten years ago, and this involved um, this involved Jamie Bernard, who you might recall, old timers might recall, she was once the uh, the uh, book review editor for, or no, excuse me, she was a movie review editor for Daily News, and she was trying to get into comics. She was working with Eddie, and um, uh, like she reports really horrible things that. That, you know, he forcibly kissed her. And then uh, this is the one. I, I mean, I know sexual assault is absolutely abhorrent. Ab- so, you know, this is just my sensibility, I will say. But but also, he wrote an email to her that ended, you know, like she sent a script mm. and he wrote some feedback, editor's notes. And he wrote, big kiss, hope you're warm, had a naughty dream about you, tee hee. 
Yeah. So, you know, this is the cavalier. I guess it's the cavalier nature I mean, of that. Who thinks that that's appropriate? Blows my mind. Yeah. It I, blows my mind. And and she says, you know, I mean, these are bad enough. You know, one of the people mentioned the story is Liz Marsham. And, you know, she's a, a acquaintance of mine, but somebody I really admire. And knowing that she had to leave DC Comics because of this, it's heartbreaking to me. Heartbreaking. You know, but then Jamie wrote, Jamie Bernard wrote, I felt bad about myself. Why didn't I pursue that opportunity? Why did I walk away? What did I do that turned him on so much? It was only after reading the BuzzFeed news account of other women sharing similar experiences with Braganza that she realized his behavior was not her fault. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the terrible thing yeah. that, you know, that anyone would come out of there thinking that they were did something wrong. I mean, it's yeah. awful. I, I, I was shocked by, uh, I mean, I'd heard, uh, uh, seen some other names, but I... That Joan had a, an, an encounter. I, Joan Hilty, I, I was that was new to me. Yeah. yeah, and I mean Joan is gay and very openly gay. So, you know what? What? What the was hell? he thinking? I what mean, what was, was he thinking he, with well, any I of mean, these people? I mean, I don't think, but he cared. But it's it's just, uh, yeah. So, um, and then and then also on top of this, one thing I think the articles now are bringing to light that the ones in twenty twelve didn't. But we all should have been able to connect the dots, and I feel bad for not connecting the dots, um, was the number of women who would not work at D.C. because of him. Yeah. yeah. Who just would not, like, Marjorie Liu basically said, like, I refuse to work for D.C. while he's there. And they're like, oh, well, you'll never have to meet him, we promise. And she's just like, no. And Amy Chu's book got transferred to Berganza. And she, I don't think she's worked for D.C. since. No, she hasn't. No, Amy um, the whole thing about this. Also, and you know the collateral. They can't damage. be alone. There's got to be a lot of collateral damage from this nonsense. Right. right, and you know the story goes that Eddie had cleaned up his act and didn't do this anymore. And you know what that tells me? It tells me that he could have stopped it before. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, why was he allowed? Why was this? It's, it's you know, I, right. I I had a lot of respect for the for the management team at DC in some ways, but I, what were they thinking? Yeah. yeah. And there was, um, so I was reading this timeline on the Mary Sue of, of just known incidents, known incidents, known documented. There's incidents. a lot that aren't on there. Let me tell yeah, you. No, this is a documented stuff. This is yeah. just the stuff that's public record. Right. That, um, Mariah Hoyner, who I actually interned under in college, uh, like the year after I left, um, had been sent like sexually explicit emails from a freelancer, went to HR and nothing happened. Right. And, um, also that Julius Schwartz, uncle Julie had this long history going back decades of this kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's super well known. I mean, that's been around since the eighties, you know? And- yeah. And, uh, you know, I experienced that firsthand. And, um, but yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I am quoted. I mean, I will say there at the first BuzzFeed piece I was quoted in and, um, I might've had a little bit to do with helping the writers of the piece get in mm. touch with some key players, maybe, mm. maybe. Uh, well, you're, you're uh, reporting. I mean, you've been reporting on this for years, Heidi. Right. I ha- yeah. But like, I, I, you know, I did talk to BuzzFeed on the record, and they asked, you know, is there anything important to know about this? And I said, you know, what this really speaks to is is the Julia Schwartz 
old-timey narrative that that girls don't read comics, women don't belong in comics, and you know, women women don't belong a lot of places, uh, according to uh, the Mike Pence's of the world. So you know, that's certainly not unique. But but as I always say, you know, we've gone through all this movie stuff, but women go to the movies, <laughs> so at some point they are allowed to spend their dollar. But uh, you know, in comics, it wasn't even that. It's like women are not weren't allowed to buy comics for a long time. So it's very very uh, effed up messed yeah, up to say the really a uh, long-term dna kind of weird stuff and you know eddie is gone now i hope some people are looking themselves in the mirror and saying what? why wasn't he gone before yeah you know what is the uh, yeah. real damage of this what is the real damage of this yeah i mean think of all the talent that must have gotten scared off i mean i will i will openly say that i when I interned at DC, I interned specifically with Vertigo, and I had hoped that I would have more contact with the other offices, that I'd meet the other interns and the other departments, maybe the other editors, see more about the superhero stuff, which I also was interested in, never did. And I always felt bad about it at the time. But when I started hearing about this stuff, I was like, maybe I want to stay away from the superhero play. <laughs> maybe I don't want advice. Maybe I don't want to be around those people. Don't. I don't know. Maybe it's scary over there. Maybe I got lucky. Um, but it shouldn't be like that. No, uh, no you know there is a whole listen there is kind of some overcompensation going on right now from what i hear it's like actually there's like there were four women in the superman office you know it was all female uh there's rebecca taylor there and uh katie kubert is now back at dc and you know they have like a, a lot more you know when i worked there it was me and one other this is 20 years ago but when i worked at dc in the editorial it was me and one other woman in editorial you know and then like 15 guys so you know, you had to have a pretty thick skin. And, hmm. and you know, like this was something that Maureen and I joked about openly because it was so ridiculous. And, uh, you know, even at Vertigo, there was only like two or three women. And so, you know, it wasn't like there was a strong. But, but now we'll say it's a lot different. There are a lot more women editors at DC. And hopefully the culture is changing. So, and, you know, I want to say, we're talking about turmoil in the world. I mean, you know, I think we've been talking for so long, we don't have that much time left. But, you know, one of the biggest stories, of, I mean, these 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 seismic blows are just coming, like, one right after the other. It's like, literally, you could, you know, when the Eddie story came out, me and a couple of friends went to a bar and had a few beers. And we were literally looking at our phones and each, you know, every 30 minutes, a new story would come out. Yeah. So it was incredible. But one of the worst has been John Lasseter yes. at Pixar. Uh, and, you know, he touched the fairies inappropriately. Like, this guy was bad. I mean, he is like, you know, a Berganza only on a larger and larger scale. But I will say one thing for John Lasseter. <clears throat> He's a genius. He did Pixar. All right. We did Toy Story. So he kind of has an amazing resume that makes it all the more tragic. You know? Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. What did Eddie, I, I ask you, listener, what did Eddie Berganza do that was so great that he deserved <laughs> did he to stay through all of this? He, yeah. he deserved to destroy the careers of so many people. What did he do that was worth it? Yeah, it's kind of hard to figure any of this out. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. And, 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 and we're seeing it in other, what's the, uh, the producer at um, the showrunner at Supergirl? 
Oh, well, yeah, Andrew Kreisberg, yeah. Uh, who has written for DC Comics, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, he is. Um, uh, he was approved of, uh, uh, accused of a lot of harassment, you know, like very bad comments, judging women on their looks and, you know, touching and yeah, all the bad stuff. And he has been let go. Um, you know, it's funny that the, the, the one person who's kind of stood up for him was, um, oh, I can't remember his name. He writes a lot of comics, too, Kate. He writes a lot of stuff for DC. It's like... Rosenberg or something like that. You know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. All right. Well, anyway, uh, he write, he also writes a lot of concert. He was kind of standing up for him, and then people were coming out on Twitter and was like, "Oh, he's part of the problem." So you know that might yeah. not even be all that we all that we hear from that. You know, obviously John Lasseter. Um, I mean, that well, is just, just, well. If we leave the world of comics, the numbers just explode. Um, I mean, the numbers are really going. I mean, yeah. across the biggest parts of media, um, the the, the top political reporter at the New York Times, uh, what's his name, Thrush. I mean, in Mark the art. Yeah, yeah, I mean Matt Power, Garrison Keeler, Garrison Keeler. I, like I don't like folksy people. I don't like <laughs> well, no. I mean, you know, uh, Roy Price at Amazon Studios. Um, I mean, it's really uh, sort of breathtaking. It is, um, and, I, and I think we're starting. You know, in comics, there've been a few people. Um, ID. I mean, I think we might have mentioned Lucas Siegel, who's a journalist, and you know, a lot of very credible uh, accusations against him. Um, today, they reignited some of the accusations against uh, um, Nathan Edmondson. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now, I, I have personal, not sexual harassment, but I will testify that Nathan was a jerk. You know, mm. he did be treated me like a jerk on several occasions, and everyone else is out there is like, you know, the story that came out today isn't really sexual harassment. I mean, it's a basis. It's more like, I don't even, it's, it's, it's like he insisted that a woman come and show him around town, and then yeah. like gave yeah. her Gave her his room key in front of a whole yeah. bunch of people. It's really just demeaning, degrading. It's sort of spectacular you know, asshole is one way you could yes. describe it. Yes. But still, it, it but lurches into a... There's a lot more coming. There's yeah. a lot more coming that's yeah. very bad. Yeah. Very bad. So Anyway, um, well, we could obviously dwell on this even longer, and we will no doubt be returning to the topic again. Well, you know what? Let me ask you guys, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't you think there's just I mean, I think it's wonderful. I mean, I think it's great that Eddie Braganza has finally been asked to step down. That is a cloud that is removed from DC Comics. Yeah. Um, you know, and all of these people are being held accountable for their terrible acts. But at the same time, it's like hearing about them one after the other. It's, it's really like traumatic. Well, it's dem- demoralizing. Um, it's demoralizing. But at the same time, it's <clears throat> I don't know. It's, it's sort of hopeful it's because a that anything is happening because yeah, you it's, always it's, knew there was stuff like that. So yeah. to know that there's any chance that they might get stopped yeah, is... Don't get me wrong. It's a it's a necessary corrective. Um, but it is demoralizing. Um, yeah. To, to every day you open the paper, you op- open, you know, you right, open the paper, you open your phone. Um, you know, there's uh, another, you know... You know, another uh, uh, statue comes crashing down. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Look, well, there's. Come on. And you know oh, what? No, you it, maybe you. they need to. They they need they need to they come need crashing. To, oh, they need. Yeah. To. I would not say. I mean, this has to happen. I will say though that what you know, we are really at a very strange place in our in in on our the history of our culture of the world really, and you know, like the conditions that have allowed this to happen, which is social media, which allows you know, people to make these accusations and the safety of numbers, 
really also has allowed Donald Trump to be president. And, you know, I'm sitting here, I, I dare not even look at the news, you know, like the, the things that are going on for uh, trying to get a pedophile elected to the Senate. And people are like, yeah, you know, I know he touched those teenage girls, but I, I'm still going to vote for him. But I mean, the concept of ethics and morals, you know, I, I tweeted this this morning, the whole world has become the comment section. But, but anyway, but, I'm just pointing out, it's like, like we're getting some good stuff, you know, the, and, and the, like, like the situation that allowed it is allowing a lot of bad stuff too. So let's make sure that the good stuff sticks because otherwise we paid a terrible price. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All and right. speaking of, I think, speaking of comic creators behaving badly, um, there's, there's one we can't let slip by. Beloved anime and manga Rurouni Kenshin's creator, Nobuhiro Watsuki, um, was caught with live action child pornography. Yeah. Um, we're not talking like uh, a Moe comic that looked like a Moe comic. We're talking like actual children on video. And he admitted it. Yeah. And um, yeah, and that is definitely not the comic anybody thought would have been written by a pedophile. Because right. like that just tells you how stereotypes mean nothing. Because it's like the most upright, adult, wholesome adventure comic you could imagine. And the guy who wrote it's a terrible person. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we always knew that people you loved could be terrible people. Yeah. And we're really yeah, got to get proven day by yeah. day. Yeah. There was a, a joke. I can't remember who said it, so I'm not going to pretend it's my own. A dark joke that uh, when they look at their news feed and they see a name trending of a celebrity that they like, they always think, oh, God, I hope they're dead. <laughs> because <laughs> this is the other possible. Because there's uh, another possible popular reason why their name is floating around. Alternative yeah. right now. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, ter- terrifically sad. Um, yeah. 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 All right. Well, so, anyway, well, let's clang find some some brief sun yeah. rays of yeah, some, happiness. Yeah, that some brief points of happen. light here. Points um, of light. This this sheltering plane of you know yeah. darkness and tumult that we're living in, um, Dover Beach. Uh, anyway, well, uh, well, well, Calvin and I went to Comic Arts Brooklyn, yes. and that was awesome. It really was awesome. I mean, um, uh, new location. They've relocated to the campus of uh, Pratt Institute, which I have forgotten how. Adorable it is. Oh, it's like Harry Potter. It's like another world. It's insane. Um, but really, this is a this is a real level up for um, uh, for for Gabe and the uh, the organizer of of of, Com- of Comics Arts Brooklyn. Uh, I mean, they they've moved the show to uh, to the Athletic Fieldhouse uh, of the Pratt Institute Cannoneers. Um, and it's a massive place. Um, uh, they've got room. They've been able to increase the number of tables. Um, they don't even use the whole space, so there's room for it to grow. Um, uh, and the, and the, you know, they held the panel, like the big panels. They had Chris Ware and Emil Ferris there. They held their panels in the, the big, like, assembly hall, which mm-hmm, is yes. like, uh, you know, freaking turn of the century, like granite. Mar- it's amazing. It's yeah. beautiful. It's like a beautiful, beautiful. No, it's the college that. campus out of central yeah. casting. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I want to give props to Gabe Fowler. I mean, yes. he definitely, uh, you know, 
uh, got this up and running. And he did it by by reaching out to new people. There was a co-curator this year. Uh, his name, I'm forgetting. Well, let's see. What was his name? Uh, Matt, he's a little unusual name. Uh, Matthew James Wilson. Uh, he's hmm. the editor of Forge Magazine, which is an online magazine of arts. He's only 21 years old. Oh, wow. uh, however, he's got great taste. And he brought a lot of really young artist to it. You know what I really loved about it, Calvin, was that yeah. the space was so big that it kind of had these installations and yeah, you know, like they had these kind of just weird art art stuff going on. And and then they had like Stephen Keane, who's like this painter from like the nineties who was huge in Williamsburg who did these uh, instant paintings, you mm-hmm. know, like these assembly line paintings. I hadn't seen him in a long time. So so they kind of brought in all these other little elements that just made it a really fun, rich experience. It, it, well, what I loved it is that there was a lot of people there, and it was so comfortable, easy to move around. If you've been to yes. Cab the last few years, uh, you know, out at the church where they had it before, it was kind of a chaotic madhouse in, in there once people showed up. Now, that was it was a great energy to the place, obviously, because, you know, the, there's great comics there and a lot of a really enthusiastic and exciting, excited people to get them. But this seemed to have the best of all possible worlds. There were a lot of people, but it was easy access to the tables, uh, very wide aisles. um, But you were never unaware that this place was packed with people. Right. And, of course, all of the panels and stuff were very conveniently located. You just could pop out of the field house or to another part of the field house where some of the panels were held. But very nearby in in, uh, the auditorium and classrooms of the school – uh, they held they they held the panel, so it was just really conveniently located, uh, really primed for growth. I talked a little bit uh, 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 with Gabe about um, you know a bunch of uh, apparently a bunch of Pratt students approached him uh, about bringing it to the campus, and he went to the administration, took some negotiations, but uh, he sort of feels that when they showed up and saw the crowds of people there, they got it and. And he sees further development. Yes. In it. As he says, he presented this. This is a partnership that I'm offering the school in, in doing this. So uh, Gabe's, Gabe's kind of visionary guy there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Although he just noted that his lease is up on yes. Desert Island. Yes. So that was, we'll I found that yeah. a little disturbing. So, yeah. yeah so, um, but he says it's not going to close. So they, they're, they're, he seems to be he's determined he's going to find a new place. But yeah. um, more, yes, more to come on that. Yeah. Now, uh, now you guys, well, only Kate. Kate, you went to Anim- Anime NYC. I did go to Anime NYC. It was at the Javits, and I admit, I went in there kind of going, oh, man, what's it going to be like? Is it going to be, like, so large it eats the world or so small that it feels sad in this big space? Um, and sort of neither. They were very creative with the space. I'd say it was somewhere to a fifth to a tenth the size of New York Comic Con. Um, But given how immense New York Comic Con is, that's not saying a lot. Like, if this were in a hotel and not the Javits, it would have felt like a huge con. Um, And as it was, it felt like a nice size. Um, Now, was it on the the main floor? I know it was up on the Crystal Palace, right? Well, they did. Part of it up there? Okay. So what they did is the artist's alley was at least as big, if not Bigger, well, at least as big as the main floor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They took over Crystal Palace for the Artist Alley, um, which, much as I love Crystal Palace, well, half of Crystal Palace being um, the press booth, what the? that might not be a bad place to relocate Artist Alley for New York Comic Con. They tried year. that. They tried it already. Didn't work. Yeah. And it, didn't it, work. It, it, okay. That's why I was surprised to see that they were using it because 
um, there are problems up there, like bathroom mm. problems. Well, yeah. this was a smaller show. Yeah. So there was that. Yeah, it seemed to work no, for this. Yeah. Okay. So um, I will say that it was a little different, understandably, because it was an anime con, um, and anime is create and manga is created generally not here. Um, it was much less creator centric con. Uh, you saw publishers and you saw vendors of stuff. But the artist Sally was very much like fan artist Sally almost. Right. Like there were a few people with their own book, but generally not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it was very lively and fun. Was there, I, how was the attendance? That's really the, the attendance. Question. Oh, it was it? They, for the space it was, it was exactly the right size. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel overcrowded, but didn't feel small. It felt right. Like if this were in a hotel, like most anime cons are, you would have a big convention hotel. You would have thought, you know, just a, this is a full grown small city con. Mm-hmm. Like this is the kind of con anime con you'd expect in Philadelphia or something. It is small for New York, but not small. Um, The only thing that felt small about it, quite frankly, was their programming list, which was thin, 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 thin. I mean, their topics were fine, but it was like, there just was not that much programming. I was, I couldn't be bothered to go to any panels. I'm going to be very honest. Um, But it was lively. It had good energy. It had enough bathrooms. It had enough food. It had enough space for everything. It had enough programming. It took over. Uh, The main floor was about, half of the main convention floor. Right. Uh, and, but then like about half of that was given over to like seating and food vendors and stuff like that. That's how they managed to make it work. Well, for the space. It's, I, based on what you're saying, it sounds like a really good first show. Yeah, it was yeah. a very good first show. I would expect it to grow to about twice that size. Eventually. That would be my guess. Well, I'm gonna. I'm just going to very quickly. Uh, Drusilla Schultz at the PW, the book room editor. She was also there, and mm-hmm. uh, and she she sent some notes to me just about it. And she echoes many of the points uh, that Kate is making. <clears throat> she thought it was a very nice turnout, as she put it. Uh, she said it was a good a good crowd, but not crowded. Um, uh, now she she has a different feeling. She thought the programming was was pretty good. I mean, she just gave me a very brief thing. So, um, so she did find things there that interested her. Uh, lots of uh, cosplayers. She she described the artist alley as robust. Uh-huh. Um, said they were still selling tickets to get in on on uh, on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and um, uh, she her she she said it, it was interesting. She she was very happy with the artist alley, but she also said that she there didn't seem to be there were very centralized places to buy, for instance, manga and buy anime apparently. Um, and you couldn't buy it too many places. Mm-hmm. But she was very happy with the show, so she would definitely go again. And, um, but, you know, it, it, it echoed many of the same points that Kate, Kate, Kate has just made in that, you know, uh, it's a good start for, for a new show. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it sounds like, you know, New York has a pretty decent anime show, uh, but with room to go. Yeah, and this is so, run by Left Left Field Media, right? Left Field, right. So mm-hmm. you know, our old buddy T- Peter Tatara is there. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, he's he's actually the main guy behind it, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and Greg Tapalian. 
Yes, Greg Capellian. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. good people. Yeah, right. and I, you know, I've been been to a couple of their shows, and um, yeah, well, we could do a whole yeah. other yes. podcast <laughs> just about the convention. Yeah, well, they landscape. do awesome con as well. So, so more out. announcement on more to come tonight, Heidi. Oh yeah, well, you know, this is uh, we talked about uh, the beat had been purchased by Landforge, and yes. I'd be leaving Publishers Weekly. And you know what? Today is my last day. After 14 years, it is my last day. So, well. Um, well, my second last day, I should say, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not your last day. day on the podcast, but uh, 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 un, uh, but it's it's both uh, it's both a sad day and a happy day in that regard because you're really going to be able to focus your attention on uh, what you've done at the beat. Um, uh, that's I think that's exciting and great for you. Um, but I but just per, my personally, I just like to say, of course. You know, everything that uh, PW has been able to accomplish in the book trade and comics uh, and everything that we've been able to do in terms of institutionalizing comics at PW, you are instrumental in every way. Uh, Everything that was started there, you made it much better, (laughs) including starting many of the same things. So uh, my thanks to you uh, for, for just what you the impact that you've had on comics and graphic novel as a category at Publishers Weekly and ultimately in the book trade. Oh, thank you, Calvin. I mean, it's been a, a real privilege uh, to work with you all this time. And, you know, we've had our squabbles, as you might guess, <laughs> from listening to this podcast. But mostly, uh, you know, they've been really... Well, we've been a team. We've, we've been, been a partnership. Yeah, and we've we really made a have. difference. And yeah, I could have, not have yes. done any of this without you. Well, Calvin, I, I mean, you were the one who pioneered it. And, um, you know, without you having actually been that first pioneer for Publishers Weekly and really in the book trade, look, I mean, Calvin really is one of the first people in the book trade on a very important position who was championing graphic novels. And honestly, it's like when we started, uh, which was before Akira Yoshida was even a twinkle in somebody's eye. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, um, or maybe just twinkling. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like the changes since then are, are pretty astonishing. Enormous, yeah. And, um, you know, onwards, upwards. Now graphic Absolutely. novels make up 8% of the market. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But, you know, I will still be on this podcast uh, for the foreseeable future. So, um, you know, you'll, you haven't seen the last of me. But, you know, thanks to all my great reviewers. And, um, you know, I'm turning them over to a new graphic novels review editor. I'm sure they'll be in great hands. But, you know, some of the people, you know, the reviews are anonymous, but I can name some of the people who have worked there over the years, including Harvey P. Carr. Yes. Uh, the late Harvey yes. P. Carr. Um, you know, Dan Nadal. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeebus, who hasn't? You know, Zainab Akhtar and... Uh, you know, I have this whole big giant list of people, Laura Hudson and Douglas Walk. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's it. We've yeah. sent a few people, uh, on out to the larger world. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> of and, journalism. Um, yeah. I mean, that Bill Cartelopoulos, uh, there's hardly anyone who hasn't reviewed for PW yes. <laughs> at one time or another. Sure. Anyway, it's been a great run, but here's the new things. Yes. Uh, but you know what? You're moving on, but there's always going to be more. To come.